following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Senior Pastor Senior Pastor N. Eric Nielsen. You know, in education, there are some, a variety of theories of learning styles. Um, really, I think there's two ways of learning something. One is to learn from others, and two is to learn the hard way. You know, when we went tent camping for the first time with our five young children, I wish we had learned from others. We had to learn the hard way that um, setting up a tent is difficult and takes time, even if you do have 10 uh, helping hands, small helping hands, that is. We learned as well that uh, kids can really drive for quite a long time, that you don't really have to overnight um, after just three hours of driving. You can uh, drive a few more hours and then maybe stay two nights. We also learned that the schedule when you're going camping should be very flexible, unless you want to be frustrated. You see, it would have been better if we had learned some of these things from those who had experienced it first than for us to learn it the hard way. Have you had to learn a lesson the hard way? You know, like perhaps what not to do on a first date? Or what not to give your spouse as an anniversary gift? Or perhaps how to dress for a funeral? Sometimes it's easier to learn from others. They say that experience is a hard teacher. She gives the test first and then the lesson. The test first and then the lesson. Well, we need to know the history of the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness, or else you and I might stumble and fail in similar ways that the nation of Israel did. You and I as Christians, people of the New Covenant who want to obey God and follow Him, we would do well to know Israel's history well because they did stumble and fall often. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians with warnings and instructions, he referred to incidents in the wilderness journey, what we're going to look at today. The journey of the Israelites, which the people in, in Corinth at, in Paul's day, they needed to be familiar with it, and so should we. He wrote, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now that ought to make you want to learn a lesson through the experience of others. Those things, he says, were written down as warnings for us. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, he says. So I ask you today, how well do you know the stories of what happened to the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness? You know, the book of Numbers may seem like to you a chore to get through, but I hope with my encouragement today that you will read through those stories, because today, first, I want to give you an overview and a summary of the book of Numbers, and I have some slides to show you as well that are related to it, and then I'll explain how the writers of the New Testament were encouraging the people of the New Covenant to learn from the people of the Old Covenant. And finally, then, we're going to look at one particular incident in the book of Numbers where we can learn a vital lesson. So let me just give you first an overview and a summary it is, the book of Numbers, a narrative of Israel's departure from Mount Sinai. They're wandering in the wilderness. 
then their attempt to enter the promised land, and finally their arrival in the plains of Moab. It is a bit like a travelogue for an entire nation. Between the time that they were at Mount Sinai where they received the covenant, and then that they reached the plains of Moab, ready to cross the Jordan into the promised land. Now, granted, it does contain a lot of numbers. It contains a census of each of the tribes of the Israelites and a detailed description of how they arranged their tribes whenever they camped. And so the thing is, it's more than just a travelogue, just so you know, since it also has narratives and laws that provide the conditions that Israel must meet to possess the land that they were promised. The author, well, traditionally, the author of the first five books is Moses. And there has been some criticism of this tradition, but the authorship of Moses is entirely defensible. Numbers, where does it get its name? Well, the English name comes from the ancient Greek translation and reflects the census at the beginning of the book. There's a whole list of numbers in there. But the Hebrew name for the book, it comes from the word for in the wilderness. The Hebrew name for the book is really reflecting the setting of the book. So here's, in general, the outline if you just divide it up in terms of geography. First comes the section where they prepare to leave Mount Sinai. Second, the journey to Kadesh Barnea, and in a moment you'll see a map of these places. And then the third, the wilderness wanderings, where they failed to enter because they were fearful of the, pe the people of Canaan at the time. And then they journeyed to the plains of Moab, and in a moment you'll see where that is. And finally, they gathered on the plains of Moab, getting ready to enter again. I think the very next one is the map of the, no, that's first the timeline, which includes a couple of other events that happen along the way. And then finally, a map so you can see as they left Egypt towards Mount Sinai, where they received the covenant, and then as they traveled towards the promised land with a little bit of a detour as they had to wander through the wilderness some more. The purpose of the book. Well, let me begin by explaining, first of all, that the book of Exodus was a record of how God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt to be his chosen people, a special relationship to him, living by a covenant made between him and them. Now, I want to remind you, too, that they were living under a promise that God had made to their ancestors, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they agreed when they were given the covenant. They agreed to follow all that God had required of them. He gave them his laws and his decrees while they were camped around Mount Sinai because they had successfully left Egypt and they had traveled at the Lord's leading. Well, then comes Leviticus. We studied that for two Sundays, recording in detail how to become holy through the atoning sacrifices and then through the many laws and regulations how to maintain holiness. And remember the book of Leviticus, it's all about fellowship. And then comes Numbers. Here comes the travelogue or the chronicles of their history as they leave Mount Sinai and travel towards the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, everything didn't go according to plan because the people had not yet learned to trust and obey God. And this is the lesson, friends, that you and I need to take away from the book of Numbers, to learn to trust and obey God. Because this is what you could say the purpose of Numbers is, is to teach the Israelites to trust God and to obey the terms of their covenant with him. Here's a few slides just to show you how this theme is developed in the book. I'm just going to quickly fly through these chapters. Chapter 11, this is when they began to complain about their trouble and they craved the food of Egypt. This is the story we're going to look at today in detail. 
Fire from the Lord broke out among them, and he provided quail to satisfy their hunger. Chapter 12 comes along, and Miriam and Aaron, siblings to Moses, oppose his leadership. Chapter 13 and 14 was when they were supposed to go in to see the land. They sent out spies. The spies noticed this land is great, but the people are especially great. And they began to fear, and so they didn't want to go in. Chapter 16, Korah and others who were supposed to lead the worship, they rebelled against Moses. Chapter 20, they were thirsty. They opposed Moses and Aaron. And then chapter 25, they were seduced by the Moabites into sexual immorality. And throughout their travels, they were learning to trust and obey God. This is a historical account of their failures and successes. This book stands as a continual lesson for us to trust and obey God through everything, even if the circumstances are difficult, because here's where they really failed ultimately. Look at how much they had rejected of God, the one that they had already said they would agree to his terms in his covenant. They rejected God's prophet, his priest, his plan, his provision, his protection, his purity, and his promises. Yet they were God's people. And I want to ask you today, as you look at your own life, when you decide to go your own way and not trust God and not obey Him, which of these have you rejected? Is it His plan? Maybe His provision? Maybe His protection or His purity? Maybe even His promises? So that's a little bit of the background of the book of Numbers. And if you go to the New Testament, and I invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because I believe it's worth reading through this together. The warning is for us, the people of the New Covenant, whether we're of the first century or the 21st century, the failure of the Israelites is a fair warning for you and I. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to them, saying this in verse 1, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert." Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, Paul's audience was fully aware of their forefathers and what their forefathers had been through. Are you fully aware 
of what the Israelites had been through, the mistakes they made. Because, friends, it's better for us to learn from others than it is to learn the hard way. I hope you'll agree with me. So we would do well to understand the correction that Israel needed, and that's why we're going to take a closer look at Numbers chapter 11. Because as, it said, or as some have said, George Santayana is famous for this saying, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Take a look at this quote. One more slide. And one more. I think many of you perhaps are more familiar with Winston Churchill's version, who said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So, hopefully you and I will learn from history today, from Numbers chapter 11. The things that the Israelites were led astray with, the things that got them into trouble, what does the book of Numbers reveal to us about God so that we, God's New Testament covenant people today, that we don't fail for the same, fall for the same things. Remember Jesus, when he was sent out into the wilderness, he did not fail because of temptation. Jesus proved faithful and pleasing to God. He did not succumb to the desires of the flesh, nor worship anyone but God, nor even test God's faithfulness. And so you and I should want to be just like Jesus and not quite like Israel. So, I turn your attention then to Numbers chapter 11. Now that you've seen the uh, overview of the chapter, of the book, I mean, I want to look more specifically at an incident that Paul also brought up there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, where we're going to learn five truths about discontentment. Five truths about discontentment from Numbers chapter 11. Read along with me. Verse 1, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the place was called Tabera, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a handmill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. So lesson number one, or the first truth about discontentment, is that it is displeasing to God. Make sure we understand it. Why? Because complaining and grumbling is simply the outward expression of a heart that is discontent. We should not test the Lord, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Instead, God wants us to express thanksgiving. It's an outward expression of contentment. And that is pleasing to God. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that the things that are improper for God's holy people, you and I today in the New Testament, are things like sexual impurity and greed, and also conversation from our mouths that is 
obscenity and foolish talk or coarse joking. Paul says that doesn't belong among God's people. What does belong among God's people? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So when we are filled with the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5, that we should be filled with the Spirit, guess what happens to our speech? It says it is, we will speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Our hearts will be filled with songs and music to the Lord, and out of our mouths will come giving of thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know God's will for you? Of all of the things you have to know, wouldn't you want to know God's will for you? Well, it's quite simple. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's not that complicated, is it? Give thanks in all circumstances. It may be difficult, but it's not complicated. And so God was displeased by their complaining and their grumbling. And notice, though, his discipline affected just those on the outskirts What I see in this is that although God perfectly righteously should be angry with them for their complaining, is he was still merciful. It affected those on the outskirts, consuming some on the outskirts of the camp. They cried out to God when they shouldn't have. They were complaining about their food when they shouldn't have. But God didn't discipline all of them. So I want to encourage you today that if you hear yourself complaining about something, Just as it's about to leave your lips and your tongue is about to mouth those words, see if you can exchange what you're about to say as an expression of discontentment instead into a thanksgiving of something that you can be pleased about or happy with, to express to God something that you're thankful for. You know, I still remember the very day that I stopped complaining about food. It was in high school. I was in line at a buffet. We were at a school trip. And we were seeing some of the same food again and again. And I stood there in line and noticed that the dish that was about to be served didn't look very appetizing. And I began to complain about what was being served. And the person in front of me, for some reason, when she simply said, you should never complain about food, it stuck with me. Don't know why, why that particular place? But that was the day I learned I should never complain about food. I know my parents were trying to teach me that. I know others had told me, but why that particular day? I don't know. But all she said was, you should never complain about food. You know, she was right. Absolutely right. You should never complain about food. Discontentment is displeasing to God. And secondly, notice what happens in verse 4. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again, the Israelites started wailing. Discontentment can be contagious. The grumbling started with the rabble. Who is the rabble? Well, the rabble are the non-Israelites. They're the ones that followed them out of Egypt. Maybe you didn't realize this, but when they left Egypt, they didn't just go out just the Israelites. There were some non-Egyptians and non-Israelites that went with them. Pharaoh finally let them go. And it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. And then it says in verse 38, many other people went up with them. And so God's instructions to them, if you want to celebrate, or if you're going to celebrate the Passover, remember too that an alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. 
Then he may take part like one born in the land. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien living among you, God said. And notice it was the rabble that was with them that began to crave other food. And yet it was the Israelites who started wailing and saying, if only we had eat meat to eat, and began to crave. Now, I know some of you moms who've been pregnant, you know what craving is all about, don't you? And husbands of wives who have been pregnant, you know all about cravings as well, don't you? And how frustrating it can be to think that, okay, I'll just get her this, then she'll be satisfied. But no, then suddenly her craving has changed, and it's something else. Most of us here are from countries that are not this one. Many of us are. And just think of your favorite dish from back home. Are there times when you crave that? You know that feeling? Well, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and then the Israelites suddenly began to crave as well. They began to complain. So just remember that discontentment can spread easily. Maybe at your office, around the water cooler, someone brings up something about people you work for, and sure enough, it resonates with you. Yeah, I've experienced that too. And you want to complain as well. Or maybe it's in your home. It's your own spouse or your own kids that begin to complain about something. Just be on the lookout. Remember that this discontentment, this seed, can very quickly be planted in your own heart. Watch for those telltale phrases like, you know, I hate it when... That's a word to be listening for. Watch out for that. And you know how to diffuse something like that when someone says, you know, I hate it when the, the boss always calls us in and one way to, to diffuse it is simply stay silent. Don't respond. It falls flat. You see, a disease like that needs a host. And if you're not going to be a welcome host to discontentment, then it won't continue to spread. The third truth about discontentment, notice what happens in verse 5. We remember the fish we, are, we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the garlic, uh, excuse me, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Isn't it true that discontentment often revises the past? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. At no cost, really? It cost them their lives, their freedom, the slaughter of their boys. It cost them their backs. It cost them their dignity. They were slaves in Egypt. Why couldn't they remember that? When they were afraid to enter the promised land, they agreed, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they decided, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Friends, they had just been freed from 400 years of slavery. And now they were craving the leeks and the melons and the onions as though life in Egypt was just perfect. We should just never have left. You ever get that feeling looking at your past as just the good old days? Isn't it funny we call them the good old days, even if they weren't? You know, the good old days when transatlantic flights took, or transatlantic trips took six months? You know, we complain about 30 minutes of delay? Back in the good old days, it took us six months to get across that ocean. Yeah, right. Remember when seats didn't come with cushions and beds were made of straw? Those good old days? Yeah, those good old days. You owned one pair of shoes and they were already worn out? Education was only for the rich. Come on, friends. Be careful that discontentment doesn't change your past. Complaining about your marriage, perhaps? Well, remember those days when you were single? 
Or maybe you're complaining about your work. Remember unemployment? Those good old days? Sure. You're complaining about your living space? Remember dorms or having to stay with your parents? Now, I know many of you are still in dorms and still having to stay with your parents, perhaps. But friends, let's remember to keep a realistic memory of the past. There was always bad with the good, okay? It wasn't all good in the good old days. And God has always been with us, whether it's the good old days or it's the present. So if you're going to choose to look only on the bright side of the past, then make sure that you also look only on the bright side about the present. Because here comes the fourth truth, that discontentment also often exaggerates the present. Look at verse 6. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. (laughs) You hear that? Never anything. Somehow we always have the worst boss ever. It's the worst place to live ever, right? It's never and always. Well, we know that the Israelites had grain, or how could they offer grain that they were required to offer? We know that they had sheep and goats and lambs because they had to offer those things. Never see anything but this manna. Remember that the misery of ours today is light compared to the misery of so many around the world. You and I here today are very well-traveled. We have seen other parts of the world, haven't we? And how we live today? Friends, it doesn't compare with what people have to live through. Gunshots and explosions throughout the night, limited selections in the grocery stores, outhouses, open sewage systems, dirt roads, distant wells, and worst of all, internet access through a modem. Can you believe it? And we complain that I have the worst Wi-Fi connection in all of Denmark. (laughs) Consider the troubles that others have endured. The missionaries, the persecuted, the victims of a war, those who've been trafficked in human trafficking. You know what? If they heard the things you complain about, would you get any sympathy from them? Ask yourself that. We're complaining that our flight was delayed by how many minutes again? It took us eight days to travel that distance. Now, we're complaining that the ice cream shop was out of what flavor again? We're complaining that our office chair has only three positions? Please, right? We're complaining that the plumber took how many days to get it done? At least we have a plumber. At least we have indoor plumbing. So you and I, though we've seen conditions people live under in other parts of the world, let's make sure we know better than to complain about our circumstances. Just like there's always bad things about the good old days, there are always good things with the bad that is in our present. And finally, the fifth lesson. Notice what happens when they've been discontent. They say, we have never seen anything but this manna. And there's a description of what this manna is. The manna was God's provision for them, that they wouldn't die in the wilderness. And they looked upon that manna as though it was something disdainful. Because discontentment ignores God's blessings. I mean, after all, hadn't God brought them through the Red Sea? Hello? The Red Sea! A wall of water on either side of you. God was able to do that. Hadn't God already provided water from a rock? Hello? Hadn't he fed them every day in the wilderness with this manna? And this manna tasted good. They could make it into cakes. 
like something made with olive oil, something that came out of the heavens. They just had to gather it. A blessing of God, and yet they disdained it. And, you know, I think that's perhaps what's most displeasing to God, and understandably so, because wouldn't you, if you had given someone a gift, and you heard them later scorning that gift, are you likely to sacrifice again for them? Probably not, right? You wanted to bless them, and instead... They cursed it. And I believe, too, that we take too many of God's blessings for granted. So here's the key. We have to compare ourselves not with those who have more, but with those who have less. Spend time every day counting your blessings. And consider, have your blessings been scorned or taken for granted by someone else? At the end of every day, what was the good amongst the bad that I'm experiencing? So friends, I hope you can see as well that if you look at the book of Numbers, you see some important lessons from history if you want to make sure that you are following the Lord, trusting Him, and being obedient. Because God is also teaching us today to trust in Him and to obey Him for as long as we journey in this earth. We are not home yet. And in the meantime, we can learn from Numbers chapter 11. One day, yes, our faith will be made sight. Hallelujah. All of his promises of eternal home will be fulfilled. Praise God, because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That will never change whatever difficulty you face today. So, the tests, the trials, the temptations you might face in this life, they are all circumstances that God is using to prove your faith and obedience. Or perhaps if you still need to grow in it, than to grow your faith and obedience, especially in terms of gratitude and contentment. I want to close with a story that I love to tell when I uh, talk about this particular passage and about discontentment, because there was a time when my wife and I were still young, and we didn't have children yet, that we lived in a place in Jakarta, Indonesia, that was very small. This was a house we had sublet from a missionary who was home on furlough. So, You can imagine that missionaries aren't paid a whole lot of money, so this house was quite small. Uh, So small that the garage itself had to be uh, used as some of the living space. It was the the office, the den. And because the garage was used as living space, then the driveway was the only place to park the car. Well, this driveway was so short that you had to park the car all the way as far as you could, almost touching the door of the garage, and then you could fit the gate to close onto the car. You you had millimeters on either the front or the back of the car. That's how small this place was. We had very little electricity in the house. You know that if you wanted to turn on the microwave, you had to remember to switch off one of the ACs or make sure that the um, uh, one of the uh, coffee machine wasn't running or someone wasn't using a hairdryer because there wasn't that much wattage or power available. That's how small this place was. We had a freezer but we didn't have a place for it. It was in the bedroom. And so it made a very nice TV stand in our bedroom, a TV where the screen was about the size of an iPad today. And uh, we didn't have a whole lot of bedroom furniture. Uh, One of our bedside tables, we only had one, was a box covered with a nice cloth. Um, And uh, our bathroom, well, that was always interesting taking a bath because the heater would turn on when you turned on the hot water. It was one of those gas heaters that on demand, you turn on the water, open the faucet, then it would light. 
the pilot uh, light would ignite. But the thing was that it needed repair, so when you would turn it on, it took a while for it to light. It would light with this huge explosion. <laughs> so what you did, you made sure you still had a towel around you, you turned on the hot water, you quickly ran outside the, the, the bathroom door, closed it, waited for the boom, <laughs> and then you could go in and you could adjust the temperature of the water. And you had to make sure you were covering yourself because we had staff in the house. Um, and uh, you wouldn't want them to see you with your ears closed outside the bathroom completely naked. Um, but the funniest thing that we still remember so fondly is the way that the light switch for that bathroom was somehow shorted to the doorbell. <laughs> so when you would switch on the bathroom light, the doorbell would ring. <laughs> and it wasn't just a simple ding-dong ring. No, of course it wasn't. It was Jingle Bell's tune. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, because at this time Kim was pregnant, and she often had to get up in the middle of the night, I would simply be woken up by Jingle Bells. <laughs> and uh, until she would finally return from the bathroom and we could go back to sleep again. But even to this day, the hardships, if you could call them really any hardships at that time, uh, we remember quite fondly. Because during that time, we weren't complaining and grumbling about what we had. We were happy, we were pleased that we had a place of our own, just for the two of us. And you see, I think it's because I'd already learned this lesson about discontentment. That you begin to look for things you can be thankful about, and sure enough, in the future, you're going to be laughing about the things that you had to go through in the past. I hope we'll remember that lesson because it's always better to learn a lesson from others rather than the hard way. Let's pray together. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash fibccph Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.